Hi, I'm Josh. And I'm Lindsay. And this is the Hideaway Podcast, episode 10. Yes! As you know, we normally release our podcasts on Sundays. However, since in this episode we talked with the founder of the Big Apple Circus, we want to release it early in the hopes that we can help raise some money for the Big Apple Circus. They're really, really in dire need of, of, of people's help. And after speaking with a few people at the organization, we, we decided we release it today instead. If you know anyone or you personally can help, the Big Apple really needs your help to be saved. Oh, man, this drilling is awful. The drilling, you can, I wonder if the audience can hear it outside or not. They're building a new building right across the street from ours. And it's almost done. It's almost done. But now they're just drilling into the concrete. So if you hear it in the back of the uh, the recording, our sincerest <laughs> our apologies. apologies. <laughs> we have a really interesting episode today. Uh, two episodes ago, we were talking about Big Apple Circus and its current financial state. So we did our best and we got Paul Binder on. Yeah. Paul Binder is the founder of Big Apple Circus. He currently sits on the executive committee of the board. And we sat down and talked with him about... The history of Big Apple Circus, his career, and the current financial predicament that they're in. We also talked about the Tonys, which most of my predictions were correct. Particularly about Leslie Odom Jr. Particularly about Leslie Odom Jr. and David and Diggs from, from Hamilton. And it was the first time in Tony history where all four of the winners in a musical category were of color. We recorded this episode on Monday. So you'll hear us talk a lot about last night's Tony Awards, even though now it's now it's Friday. One of the things that Paul doesn't talk about because it wasn't released at the time is their new plan moving forwards if they raise the $2 million. The plan was released yesterday in an article with the Times-Ledger, but I think it's interesting, particularly for the listeners who are wondering what will Big Apple Circus do if they get the money they're trying to raise. And I thought it was really interesting. The article said that Big Apple Circus is going to keep the tent at Lincoln Center and at Corona Park, which are the two places they play in New York City. And over the break between the two, which typically runs from January to sometime in, in April or May, they're going to do an arena tour. I think going into an arena is super smart. It's the infrastructure is there. You don't have to bring a tent. You don't have to pay for all the costs of setting up and taking down a tent or restoring a site. It's super smart. But the problem with an arena is you have to fill an arena yeah, it's a lot of seats to fill. Yes. But possibly they can go to more places if, you know, Cirque du Soleil usually plays an arena for two or three days at a time. Mm -hmm. So this might be an opportunity for Big Apple to expand their audience and play in cities and towns they haven't been able to go to before. And it also will be interesting because they typically create a show for a relatively small tent. And now going into an arena, the show will then be much, much larger. You know, I mean, the show won't be larger, but the the venue will be larger. And presumably they'll still be building the show for the tent when it's at Lincoln Center and at Corona right. Park. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, is it the same show? Are they doing two versions of the show? It'll be interesting to see what happens. If you're enjoying the show, if you like the podcast, please share it with your friends. That's how we grow our audience and find new listeners. You can use Facebook or Twitter or email or just word of mouth. Uh, Lindsay and I really do appreciate it when you tell people about the show. And tell us what you what you like hearing about it's helpful, you know, so we, we make sure to ask the questions that 
you want to hear. That, yeah, people want to hear. And you can send us any question ideas, any particular guest ideas to hello at hideawaycircus.com. And thank you for the guest suggestions we got this week. Yeah. Seems like we're getting more every week. So please, <laughs> please do keep sending those. And uh, enjoy your interview with Paul Binder. <laughs> did you want to be in the circus as a kid or did you no, want to be an actor? Wasn't interested. Wasn't interested. Uh, and was I? Uh, yes, I was very turned on. I, I liked performing. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, there's, I think the story's in the Maybe it's not in the, no, it's not in the book. Um, uh, the first Broadway show I ever saw was Where's Charlie with Ray Bolger. Where's Charlie was based on a play called Charlie's Aunt. Mm-hmm. Charlie's Aunt. From Brazil, where the nuts come from. I'm from Brazil, where the nuts... Charlie <laughs> is both Charlie and Charlie's Aunt. I forget the story, but he tells everybody his aunt from Brazil is going to visit it's almost like one man, two governors. Well, where sort it plays of. two people. It's kind of that style, uh, but it was a musical. The, mm-hmm. What I saw was a musical. It's called Where's Charlie? And Ray Bolger, who I had already grown up with, mm-hmm. he was the scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz. Right. At one moment in the show, steps forward, stepped forward to the front of the stage, and he danced. He was a great dancer, uh, and sang, and then he spoke to the audience and asked us to join him in the song. Oh, fun. And the song was Once in Love with Amy, and to this day I remember, I do it in my cabaret act. Oh, you do? And I, I did it at the Lotus Club for Lotus Scott Do you Town. sing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't sung in front of an audience after college, I, in college and college musicals. I, at Dartmouth, right? At Dartmouth. I did a duet with uh, Michael Moriarty. Does that oh. mean anything to you? yes. Who is that? He he was the original DA in Law and Order. Oh, but okay. Before Sam Waterston, yeah. right? Yes. And you watched he, the Tonys last night, right? Yeah. So you, you see the the Law and Order tribute that, that was James one, did. That was one of the best things they did. That was so very funny. funny. Yeah, it was. That was very funny, and with the shot of. Uh, of Danny Burstein. Oh my god! And like time. so many seven times. different yeah. roles. It was great. Yeah. Great. Have you always had that entrepreneurial sort of, I want to put on a show bug? Yeah, I think that's a fair question. And the answer is, yeah. When hey, you, kids, let's put on a show. Because you know? we, we share an alma mater for grad school. When you went to Columbia, because we also went to Columbia, were you oh, thinking, yeah. were you thinking, as I, undergrads or as grad, grad school? Graduate. In what school? Uh, the theater school for theater producing and management. Oh, cool. But, you know, but we met with uh, the... The dean of the business school, or yeah, and he had something signed from you on his wall. On dean his, Hubbard, does yes, that. and he, we, he was like, "So you guys are doing a circus? Do you know of a person named um, Paul Binder?" And we we're like, "Do we know Paul Binder?" You know, and it was just so funny. It is so, funny. It's so cool. Well, before, that's I, he asked me that they have their annual uh, reunions, you know. So the reunion classes all come in and spend a couple of days. It's a weekend. You know, it's great. You know, here's my contribution for the small amount. Believe me, believe me, it was a small amount. And uh, did you know before you went to Columbia that you were going to use something from the business school to start a show? Was that no idea? I had no idea. No. So what was the idea of going? I went from Columbia and I went to work for Merv Griffin. Is that under Julia Child? No, it was after. After I came back to New York after I had worked for Julia, Um, and. And, you know, I went to school, I went back to school. Yeah. And then uh, after that, I got a job with Merv Griffin. 
were first working on Jeopardy, the original Jeopardy. This was before what's his name, Alex Trebek. Yeah. Um, and then and then he took me on to the Merv Griffin show, which at the time was just going to CBS Network, opposite Johnny Carson, and. Uh, so I worked on, I, as a talent booker, he had me as a talent booker. Although my job was booking what they call heavy furniture, which was, you know, authors and politicians and, you know, pe people nobody cared about seeing, you know. So, <laughs> like, um, too serious. <laughs> but, but I, yeah, but the long and short of it is, uh, uh, I think that story, I don't know which stories are in the book. Yeah. Never I, quote the weather to a sea lion. Is Paul's book. Never Caught the Weather to a Sea Lion and Other Uncommon Tales from the Founder of the Big Apple Circus with a Forward by Glenn Close. <laughs> yeah. That's the full title. That's the full title. That's correct. <laughs> Available wherever books are sold. <laughs> Actually, yeah. it's on Amazon. Yeah, yeah. It is. That's or where I got it. Or you can go to my website, .com, paulbindercircus.com and get a discount. You get a discount. There. Oh, exclu exclusive for the podcast. Yeah, it? and it gets signed. If Do you, you see Glenn Close's little bit about playing Hillary last Very night? funny. I, it, was, it was definitely her, too. Oh, yeah. yeah it was, and yeah. man, you always forget that she's just this amazing singer, too. Yeah. And yeah. then she did that little thing. I was like, Well, that's how I met her. She was, uh, uh, I taught her how to juggle in, in, for Barnum. You did. She had a juggle for Barnum. She in her forward, she talks all about it. But we trained the entire cast, and I personally trained her how to juggle because she had a juggle in the show. Right. As she sang a solo, in a in a single light. I wonder yeah. if they'll ever revive that show soon. I hope so. It's been no. It's never been revived for Broadway. No. No. And Larry Pizzoni, who taught you how to juggle? Larry that, Pizzoni taught me how to juggle. Yeah, we had Gypsy correct. on like two or three weeks ago oh, talking about Larry. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Gypsy's great. Yeah, she G is. She's fabulous. And you, know. and you two had a, a juggling act for a little while. Not Larry. Not Larry. No, another student of his, Michael. Michael oh. Christensen became my partner. I thought I read on, right. on a Wikipedia that you and Larry had an act together, and then you were going to go to Europe, and then he didn't go. Other way around. Other Michael and Larry. We're going to meet in Europe. Oh. Decided he couldn't go. I mean, I think he was determined to go, but uh, uh, Gypsy's mom, Peggy, <laughs> said, over my dead body you're going, <laughs> right? And so Michael uh, sent me a telegram. Any of you people, any of you young people out there know what a telegram is? I do. They're so romantic. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you ever send me a telegram? I'm sorry. <laughs> he sent me a telegram. Can you come, right? I didn't even have the money for a ticket to get there. He was he was working in on a hops farm in Kent in England. Yeah. Um, you know, for, for so he could eat, mm -hmm. you know, have a place to stay and eat. And it took me, I can't remember how long, a month or so driving taxis and uh, newspaper delivery trucks. In New York? In New York um, to put a, stake together to get over there right um and so i did and we put a show together in a barn in kent first we took it to hyde park corner oh yeah figuring <laughs> hey that's where the crowds are yeah. right and uh we did our act and we were passing the hat and uh, london bobby walked up to us uh you know very formal and he said Gentlemen, would you mind stepping aside for a moment as I explain a few fine points of the ancient British law? And uh, he took the time to tell us that soliciting on the Queen's property was not 
<laughs> kosher. <laughs> I don't think he used that word, but that. yeah, yeah. No, no, he was very polite. He was yeah. very polite, and uh, and and he actually said, "Well, you can keep what you've gotten so far, but you know, get out of here. Move, You've had right? enough." And I think we then we took it to Carnaby Street. I don't. Carnaby Street was very popular in those days in terms of crowds and stuff. But uh, and then we launched ourselves. We we got to. Paris and this is, you know, we went from Paris all the way to Istanbul juggling on the streets. Wow. Did you in, did you enjoy street performing? Say that again? Did you enjoy like the challenge of street performing? Because it's really a hustle when you're doing it, or at least it Did I enjoy it? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It was and we got better and better and better at mm-hmm. it. I mean yeah. we we really had a finely, tightly uh, woven act by the time we came back to the US and uh, so was this after Columbia then? Yeah. Here where I was with two Ivy League degrees. I know. It's so funny. I'm thinking Dartmouth, Columbia, now you're right, and I, juggling. I'm, I'm standing there on the Bosphorus juggling for <laughs> Turkish lira. Did you? No, we had it all figured out. <laughs> Gee, you know, look at all the dollars we're going to make. Of course, it never occurred to us we were going to be right. working in the local economy. <laughs> so we never had dollars, you know. Um is, but uh, it was did the bits extra, work everywhere, or did you change stuff depending we, on where you were? We, we made well. We worked in English where we thought English was, and then we worked in French. We worked in Italian. We worked in German. Michael was fluent in German, and all we had to do was change a few words around it. You know, we had a routine where. Uh, let me think for a moment. How did it go? Uh, uh, where I took a chicken and threw it, a rubber chicken and threw it into Michael's juggling cascade. And he says, what is that? I said, it's a chicken. A what? A pullet. He says, well, pull it out. <laughs> okay, so that was the gag. So in France, what we, we changed it to, qu'est-ce que c'est ça? What is that? Ça uh-huh. c'est un poulet. The chicken. Un quoi? Un poulet. And he would say, Prenez le poulet si vous poulet. The French loved that. We were butchering their language. We were the only Americans butchering their language that they actually thought was funny. And they laughed at. Um, So how did you meet Annie Fratellini? Pierre Atex, who was married to Annie Fratellini, they were planning the Nouveau Cirque de Paris at the time. It didn't exist. And there it was. There we were on this TV show. And they were somewhere in the provinces, not in Paris at the time. They lived in Paris. And he's, the story he told was, all of a sudden he went like this, Ani, Ani, viens ici, come here. And he pointed to the television. And they watched our act on television. And the next day we got a phone call from, oh, I don't know, phone call, a telegram. Telegram. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what we got or how they contacted us. Y- yeah, some, I don't even remember where we were. <laughs> oh, no, we were in Paris because we had done the TV show. And indeed, I think it was live that TV show. Oh, so cool. what they call an émission in France, or did at that time, a live emission. Um, so they knew you really could juggle. Well, they, they contacted us and said, would you come and meet, you know, and we met at Annie's apartment in Paris. Um, and she said, we're planning this circus and uh, we would like you to join us. We're doing these gala, gala uh, uh, what they call gala shows, companies and organizations would have these shows, like Christmas shows, mm-hmm. um, and they would have a little talent thing, and Ani and Pierre were doing doing it, and they asked us if we would join them as part of this, and so we did a series of gala. 
with them. And this was all in what they called uh, pre-whatever for the, for the uh, circus that they were about to start. And then we eventually, we went home. We came home to U.S. And we got a, what did I get? What did I receive? Telegram. A telegram is <laughs> correct. I got a telegram from Anis saying, could you join us in the dates in Dijon in France? Where, where we're going to begin the tour of the circus. And we figured it out. We said, yes, we could get there. And next thing we knew, we were touring France with the circus. And it was the Nouveau Cirque de Paris. They, of course, were the stars on the Ian Pierre. They had a wonderful comedy uh, clown routine. They were clowns. And uh, we did our act. And it was the beginning. It was just like, oh, this is wonderful. Oh, look at this. The feeling that we got when we were in the ring from the audience was astounding. I kept on saying, this is amazing. It was like, it was like we were inside a dome of energy. Mm-hmm. That's how I remember the feeling. The, uh, and it just, we got it. I, I love this, I kept on saying. This is wonderful. And we knew we were going to come back to the U.S. So the thought was, how about if we do this in the U.S.? That's the story. Okay. So, really, and just I like came, bites you, yeah, right? Say again? The circus just like gets you, and you're just like, I have to do it. Yeah, yeah. So I came back and I proposed it to a friend of mine named Richard Levy. Mm-hmm. Indeed, he was the first co-founder of the Big Apple Circus. Michael wasn't even involved at that point. He had gone off to uh, Seattle, I think. Which he so was you and Michael had talked about it in, when no, you were over in France? No, we didn't talk about it. We didn't it. at all. I talked to Richard Levy about oh. this. <laughs> and I said, Richard, here's what, my, here's what we should do, and we could do this, and we could create the circus, you know. And Richard took some time, and he thought about it. I'm not sure it was in the same conversation or a next conversation. He said, Paul, go back to Paris. <laughs> <laughs> but... He began investigating the idea. You know, he's asking friends and people he knew, whatever. And everybody said, this is a great idea. You really ought to do it. One of the people was Mimi Gross. And she just got so excited by the idea that she really turned them on and said, this is a wonderful thing. This is, we, should, we really should do this. Let's go for this. And he began to see, and he began asking other people who, mm-hmm. as he began to elaborate on it and understand what it would be, and he, he got excited about it. So he wasn't sending me back to Paris anymore, <laughs> but he, was the, he really helped me start it. And at some point, we contacted Michael. So, Michael, you got to be part of this. You Why know? did you guys choose to do it as a nonprofit venture rather than a for-profit venture? Okay, two things. Because it always was going to be, it would always have community service as part of its vision mm-hmm. and mission. Um, so that, and then we did the numbers. I mean, <laughs> no way this is going to make a profit. You know, we have to raise money every year in order. And of course, <coughs> excuse me, not for profit. Theater companies, you know, they they were there. Yeah, we were out here, and we structured it that way. We we knew in order to have it as a single mission, mm-hmm. the Big Apple Circus was going to be a cultural organization with a world class performing arts institution and serving the communities in which it performed. 
Why was that important to you? Uh, I think it was a product of, first of all, my upbringing, you know, that community, that service was part of the belief of our family and, uh, you know, in my community. How did your parents instill that? Uh, Lord knows how. <laughs> They probably beat me. That's how, no, no, they didn't. You will, serve <laughs> you, will that's right. you will serve. <laughs> um, it, and he, he, Richard and I were involved in, um, I met Richard actually in the Bay Area when I lived in Oakland and then went to the San Francisco Mime Troupe. Um, uh and that's where we met. And so service was p always part of the image. He came from the same kind of background. Mm. Not in New York City, actually. He lived in, he was raised in the uh, Washington, D.C. area. Mm. But uh, it just, that was what sang for me, you know? Uh, even if I wasn't singing publicly, it was singing <laughs> in my head. Uh, and and, and it, so from the beginning, that was the idea. We would have an... The first vision was to have an inner city school teaching oh. inner city kids um, circus skills as a as a way of teaching discipline and teamwork mm. and um, s s you know self confidence and and, and good self image and, mm. and it works. I'm here to tell you that works, and we still have uh, uh, school programs. Eventually, the flagship community program became our clown care unit, mm -hmm. which Michael invented. You know, oh. Michael joined us early on. Um, um, and at first, he wasn't even called founder. He was clown coordinator and this and that and the other thing. And then one day, he said, I want to be called founder, too. He wasn't really there from the very beginning, but it wasn't long after we started this. Whole did thing. you think about that? Were you like, "Oh, I don't know if I want"? No, I didn't. To share that. No, I said, "Fine, he, I want to be. I want to be the co-founder." He said, "Well, it's fine. I kept the title founder, and he was <laughs> called co-founder for the longest time." To to this day, I have to disabuse people. Don't call us co-founders. Just right. founders. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Right. The other day, it happened the other day when we there was a press release that went out. That, oh, and I said, no, get off this co-founder thing. Just call it founder. Yeah, yeah. There are two founders. Right. They are founders. Yep. They don't have to be called. <laughs> Excuse me, everybody. I'm getting. Sorry, I'm getting very academic about this. But uh, um, you talk about like the. I mean, presumably the early struggle of starting a circus in New York and what kind of challenges you faced when you started. Other than convincing people that it was worth well, starting. Yeah, it was kind of this crazy idea. And here was the city in a financial crisis, and I'm proposing yeah. that we do a circus with community programming. And, um, our first grant, actually, was from Chase, Man Chase Manhattan Bank. I think it was called Chase Manhattan at the time. They gave you a grant? They gave us, I think, $1,500 with which we could print our proposal. Oh. And we did. And one thing led to the next. The printer who was printing the proposal said, hey, this is really good. I know the people in the women's division of the governor's office, Governor Carey at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, you ought to bring this to them. And we did. And we went to see them. And there was somebody in the room who said, hey, this is a great idea. It wasn't the woman we had made the appointment with. <laughs> I remember saying, who was that lady sitting in the corner taking notes, Richard? Oh, that was Margaret Hyman, Maggie Hyman. I said, she's the one. 
She's the one we should be talking to. And sure enough, we did. And she opened her Rolodex and said, oh, we got to contact this one. We got to contact that one and so on. And one thing led to the next. Anyway, we got $1,500 to print the proposal from Chase Manhattan. And then the first big grant was from Con Edison. We just kept moving ahead. <laughs> you know, we're going to order a tent. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And Con Edison put in money to bring kids to the show and bus kids in and, uh, um, uh, as part of their community programming. Bingo. We were in business. You so know? from the inception of the idea to the very first show, how long did that take? Like, you know what? Too long. Duh, who remembers? <laughs> yeah. No, actually, it was much faster than we had anticipated. Uh, but we had no idea. We had no idea if we were going to get through the first season. I mean, it was like, you know, here it is, whatever. How many years later? 30. 30 something. Yeah. 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 And uh, it was incredible. One, But always on the edge. <laughs> always financially on the edge. And yeah. here we are again. Well, maybe you can talk we're, about what's going on right now. Yes. Let's talk about <laughs> what's going on right now. Uh, in order for us to open at Lincoln Center... This year, we have scheduled to be there opening on October 19th for our normal 12-week season, uh, running through January, whatever the date is. We need to raise $2 million uh, in contributions to, to, to mount the show, to do the pre-show marketing, to assure us the private performances that are, com that are scheduled to come in, Without it, we're not going to be able to open. And we, it would effectively close the Big Apple Circus forever. You know, perhaps the community programming would survive, even that becomes questionable. So we've actually raised um, 600,000 of that. So we, we still need 15, 1.5 million. Yeah, if anybody has a spare 1.5 million, <laughs> you can Send you could go to, to you could go to save the circus.org. Shall I repeat that? Savethecircus.org. Yes. Um, because that, that's a, what do you call it, crowdfunding site. Yeah. And, you know, that, that site has raised about $50,000 to date, um, which is good. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a good start. And it's a piece of, and plus we have a whole lot of other pieces that are coming in, larger grants and so on. Um, but we've got a long way to go. And we've got whatever a month, you know, till July 15th, the latest July 30th. Mm. Um, because we have to make commitments between now and then in order to put the show up. Mm -hmm. But it would be it would be awful. The Big Apple Circus is gonna stop because the public didn't come up and support it. They really should. Yeah. Save the circus.org. That's well, such a big part of so many people. I mean, like. I actually started going to circus before I went to theater and then I got sidetracked into theater and forgot about the circus. And then I met Josh and he reinvigorated this love of circus that my family had. And we went to the big apple, hey. you know, and it's, it's yeah. something that, you know, I'm 27. So I think I we went when yeah. I was like five or six. The first time I went backstage at a circus was Big Apple. I went with Cir I was in Circus Mercus and uh, oh yeah. I don't remember. I think maybe Barry took like was it was our tour guide around backstage and I was like, oh man, this is where. This is where it's at. It's great, huh? Um, but uh, so I just wanted to ask sort of how it ended up in this position. So I think the, the website explains it a little bit, but I'm wondering if you can sort of talk about. The, the, the major thing that had, the, the big thing that happened was when the financial crisis hit, 
we had something like 24 private performances at Lincoln Center. Private performances were corporations uh, would buy out the entire tent mm -hmm. for their clients and their uh, employees and so on. So you essentially had guaranteed profit mm -hmm. for 24 income. shows. Yeah, yeah, income. Income. Revenue. Yeah. What we call revenue. revenue. Earned revenue in, in the not-for-profit world. A and that amounted to something like $1.2 million of revenue mm -hmm. in a given season. Well, that's a considerable amount. What's more, the shows that were bought by these was blocked out on the schedule so that it, I don't know, this is, you know, corporate math. Right. The other ones began to fill up. Those were right. the available seats. Well, 2009 was already contracted. So that season, 2009, uh, 10, we continued to have that revenue. But immediately after that, 10 financial institutions did not come back. Well, that there goes the $1.2 million. Mm -hmm. I mean, overnight, it disappeared. So we were suddenly in a situation where we were not earning the kind of money to support what we were doing. Um, and it, they've never come back. I, I well, What I should say is that the... Bloomberg organization stayed with us. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the banks, all of whom had taken TARP money, uh, uh, what was it, something asset relief program. Yeah, from the federal government. From the federal government, uh, uh, could not be seen buying tickets to a circus. It was just... The, it was like frivolous. The optics, as they say, <laughs> were not good about that. So they disappeared. Mm -hmm. And they never really come back. I'm hoping they still will. But... Mm -hmm. Um, so what we what began happening is we started taking on debt in order to you know keep our keep our seasons going and so on, um, and then we got hit, hit by a series of events that cost lots of money, lots of earned revenue. For example, there was a, a blizzard in 2011. That's when I moved to New York. So, I moved you know, at the blizzard. All right. Oh, terrific! Like, literally, <laughs> terrific. Yeah. And uh, and there was. Um, the, we were in Boston and had to close down for five days, counted five days after the marathon bombing. We were right there in the center of Boston. Mm -hmm. And we were simply told you cannot perform. You cannot. I'm from Boston. Ah, okay. So, so you know. I know exactly where you're talking right, about. Yeah. Right. So that was a huge blow to our yeah. revenue. Especially five days of performances. Yeah, about 10 shows. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then uh, there on tour, there was an ice storm in Atlanta when we were in Atlanta. Nobody drives their car when you get, you know, quarter of an inch of snow in Atlanta. That, again, <laughs> right. And they were ice storms. And then, I mean, this is just a, a series of very of, of unexpected events. There was also a snowstorm in 2014 mm -hmm. on December 26th, which is the beginning of the best week our biggest week of the year. Mm -hmm. It's the Christmas holiday week. Mm -hmm. And we're at Lincoln Center. And we sell tickets all week long, uh, you know. And so all of those things meant we weren't earning the money we were earning. And so we continued to accumulate debt and put us in a hole. So that's where we are. We have no cash. Mm -hmm. As of today, are you all listening out there? As <laughs> of today, we have no cash. We've made... We barely make payroll. We have a very reduced staff at this point, mm -hmm. um, full-time employees. Uh, and when we perform, we have uh, 
seasonal employees right. that we take on, you know. Um, I think I read in the New York Times article that your season, and correct me if I'm wrong with this number, but each season, your show costs $11.4 million. No, no, we need $11.4 million in revenue in order each to make year. up. That's right. Okay. So each year for your it show, cost you that. need... Okay, yeah. I was like, wow, that's a really costly show. Right. So you need $11.4 million in revenue each year. To break even. To break even. Right, right. Because and, to, and the entire organization is almost seventeen million dollars, right. including the community programming. Um, but the budget is um, so you're operating. That, that's program. seriously down from at our height in the in the um, you know early two thousands mm-hmm. and late nineteen hundreds. We were twenty two million dollar organization. So wow. uh, that's a budget number, right? I mean, it well, costs well, a lot to do it to run a circus. Well, you have to. I mean, and a yes. tent and. And right, and, exactly. Yeah. And moving it, it was very expensive. Mm-hmm. So what what's happening now is we have a very viable business plan going forward. I don't want to discuss it, but it's truly a viable plan, which will be huge budget relief to the costs of the carrying costs. Mm-hmm. Um, but unless we're able to open the new show, we can't, the, right. the new business plan doesn't work. <laughs> In fact, it, you know, it's as if it never existed. Right. So this, see this as an appeal for funding, everybody. Savethecircus.org. Yeah. Um, I want you don't have to give any details, but I am curious because on the website it did say, like, look on the, the generosity page for details on how we're, you know, addressing the spiraling tour costs. So yeah, I'm just curious, like, now that you've sort of in this position where what does Big Apple see as the things they can change to be more sustainable? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, there, the the costs of touring are high because we're carrying a tent, we're carrying bleachers, we have 32 loads of equipment, including all the lighting equipment and the sound equipment and the, um, the uh, technical setup and so on. You know, it's a small show, mm-hmm. but it's an enormously, uh, you know, it's a very focused, high-quality production value show. So... That costs a lot of money. And there are downtimes between performance mm-hmm. venues. We finish at Lincoln Center on, let's call it January 15th. We don't reopen again until February 15th, okay? We have been reopening in Central Jersey at that time. It looks like we're not going to be able to do that again because it's a very risky proposition because of weather Mm-hmm. In February mm-hmm. in central New Jersey, you get one snowstorm and bingo, you're in right. big trouble. Same thing as in Atlanta. People don't drive when it's snowing. Um, okay. And then our, so our big locations are New York and Boston. We're mm-hmm. six weeks in Boston. We're 12 weeks in New York. And we do very well in Boston. There was a wonderful review. This is a sidebar. <laughs> There's a wonderful review in the back some years ago in the Boston Herald. It said, when the Yankees come to Boston, we hate New York. When the Knicks come to Boston, we hate New York. So 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 also for the Rangers. Why is it that we love the Big Apple Circus? That's how the review began. So Boston. Yeah. Well, it, well yes. And, That's a nice review. And absolutely. We loved Boston. Boston always loved the Big Apple Circus. We had a wonderful following there. Um, I attributed some of it to the fact that we got there at the beginning of April and we were a harbinger of spring mm, in yeah. a city that was tired of being cold. cold. <laughs> you know? um, 
But it was one, we have a wonderful following there, I must say. And it's always, it was always great going to Boston. So, um, but between, let's say, New York City and Boston, all of a sudden there are eight weeks before we reopen in Boston. Mm-hmm. And our fixed costs remain. Right, because you're all still All those full-time employees, yeah. right? Um, and so we have a plan that will relieve that. I'm not, I can't. I am not at liberty to reveal <laughs> it, but trust me, it's a damn good business. But yeah, yeah. Lindsay am I, was... I allowed to say "damn" on a blog? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. damn. Um, damn, 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 damn. Technical term is podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, podcast. Sorry about that. Of course. What am I saying? Of a podcast. But I'm not writing all this. The, after yeah. after we heard that news, Lindsay and I were just immediately like, okay, well, what would we do if you know? we were on the Big Apple Circus board, like, and I know Mary Jane was like, is there anything that I would just like write her and suggest? Yeah. And one of the questions that I had was, why not do a new show every two years as opposed to every one year? That's a very good question. I mean, for one, we have to do a fresh show every year at Lincoln Center, right? Do you though? That's my well, question. Like, Oh yes, because our audience is not going to come back a second time to see the show. But what and, it, and, yeah, I don't know. I think they might. That's what, That would be the proposition I make. I had think this they argument because I think... I, I hope you two don't argue often. That, <laughs> we don't. Okay, but quick. when it's about, we, we argue about circus philosophy and oh, theater. Oh, <laughs> how interesting. Okay. Yeah, I think my parents are like, oh my God, stop. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, that's an interesting question because like Wicked has been on Broadway, you know, however many years, at least 10, 10 years. 10 years. And yeah. Yeah, they just back. recently celebrated their 10th. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it's interesting if to see if people would go see the same circus show. Again. Well, remember Broadway is different right. because Broadway, a, a good deal of Broadway's um, ticket revenue comes from tourists. Right, but okay. I mean, oh, I, I that's guess a big hit show, so they yeah. come locals. Right, yeah. um, we you don't know. No, we are very New York. Yeah, um, we don't get a lot of tourist business. We, so uh, then, yeah, you probably have to do a new show. Circuses come to their town; they don't need us. Mm-hmm. They don't come to New York to see the big episode. They come to see Wicked. Or Hamilton. Well, they're going to be a Hamilton. few years from now. But uh, uh, I was lucky. I saw it early on. Whew. Yeah, anyway. saw it at the public. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't. I, we, we were there for the Broadway. Oh, yeah. When, Bro- when they opened so up I, Broadway. in previews on Broadway and then yeah. in previews at the public. Because I was like, yeah. I know this is going to be a big show. Oh, man. So I bought tickets real early. But, Fabulous. But anywho. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you find that audiences have declined in the past few years or have they been consistently oh um no no they haven't dec- that this past year they did which was really odd because it's a very good yeah, show i really like this show. yes and it got yeah. it was a new york times critics yeah. pick by Mark the way Lonergan is our good friend yeah. oh okay i mean this was a this is a terrific show we just we just finished the season the yeah. touring yesterday season. right yesterday the, yeah. yeah and uh and it was a new york times critics pick and so on um I can analyze for you what went wrong, but we made less money this year than we did last year. It doesn't. It didn't make sense. So, do you feel like the, the quality? It of does the show? to me, but we can do that offline. Yeah, we ain't telling any of you out there what happened. <laughs> Everyone can guess. No, I, how do you? Yeah, so another question I was thinking about is how do you keep the show fresh? I think Mark definitely was it. I thought did a great job of. Um, sort of bringing the Big Apple Circus culture. Mark, you're talking about Mark, Mark Lonigan, the, the director, director of yeah. this year's show. Yeah. Did a really good job, I thought, of sort of maintaining the Big Apple Circus culture while still using a few new elements. You know, Top Dancing was an example that I haven't seen in a while in Big Apple. Um, and I'm wondering what that process, because you directed already so many so many shows, now you've seen so many. 
what that thought process is like a year or two out when you're like, okay, we have the next show. How do we keep it fresh? Like, what is that challenge like? Well, this is interesting because Mark, of course, Mark's collaborator is Joel Jeske, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, who has worked for the Big Apple Circus either in the show or um, in the hospitals mm -hmm. for 18 or 19 years. I mean, he intimately knows the Big Apple Circus. It's interesting, his character was called Mr. Joel. That was a tribute yeah. to our tradition. I was Mr. Paul. Uh, Michael was Mr. Stubbs, uh, um, and so on. It was, it's kind of the formal structure of the characters, okay. Um, and he, he I, I think that he should have been, the other clown should have been Mr. Skip. Oh, Mr. Yeah. Skip, not just Skip. Right. You know, right. Um, wonderful, by the way. He was wonderful. Yeah. Brent um, Macbeth. Yeah, Brent Macbeth is correct. Brent, Brent, um, the Scottish play, we actually say, but <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. He moves like a dream, Brent. He moves oh, just great. beautifully. And he, the character is a wonderful character. You it was know? his first time being in a ring. It yeah. was his first yeah. time being it was. in a ring. Yeah. That is correct. But he did wonderfully, the yeah. two of them, and, and they had great chemistry and, you know, um, uh, outstanding. But so what I'm saying is Mark and Joel essentially brought the idea, the structure and the idea. We had done a show years ago called, uh, ooh, well, I forget what it was, but it was a tour show where mm -hmm. the, we went around the world. Uh -huh. uh, Gee, I can't believe I can't remember the name of it. Is it, it. in the book? Uh, I don't think it's in the book. Actually. <laughs> it's no, it's not in the book. book part two. <laughs> you know, uh, never quote the weather to a sea lion and other uncommon tales from the founder of the Big Apple Circus with a foreword by Glenn Close. You can get it on paulbindercircus.com. Okay. <laughs> Discount. Signed. You will be sent it signed. Um, uh, and you don't have to pay for shipping. We cover shipping. How's that? Okay. Wow. How am I doing? Okay. That's a good deal. Okay. But uh, anyway, I think this year's show, because of that collaboration, Mark Lonergan's direction and Joel's writing and understanding of the internal yeah. uh, internals Working. of a Big Apple Circus, uh, it was a it's a wonderful show. It's mm. a wonderful show. So, I, I, first of all, I want to answer your question. I don't think it can have a two year life because we go back to the same places. It might have a two year life if it goes elsewhere. Yeah. That package goes elsewhere. Um, you guys have two tents, right? We have two tents, yeah. One is meant for the hot summer. That's mm -hmm. the white one? White. And then we have a dark one, and, um, which, which tends to retain the heat more. Mm -hmm. The white one is, reflects the sun, so it doesn't heat the tent as much. And the dark one absorbs the... Mm -hmm. The heat of the sun, so that's why we have two. <laughs> so same many, seating, but you know. How many uh, shows did you direct at the Big Apple? I did. I, I directed the first nineteen. Dang. Right. Yeah. So on on, but for you, because Mark and Joel, you know, this is our first one or second one. Maybe Joel writing it, but for you, up on the show eighteen, show nineteen. Yeah. You know, where is your head at about where's the next idea? How do we keep like? Oh, I mean, I was constantly filing ideas. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like. Hmm, what if we did a this? What if we did a that? What you know? I mean, we did a nineteen twenties show. This is this past show is set in the nineteen mm twenties. -hmm. The base. We did one called uh, Jazzmatazz. Oh, that's a cute name. <laughs> yeah, and we yeah we did the Charleston. We did all the, a lot of the elements that you saw in this show. Um, what I'm saying is, you know. They were different ideas at different times. I remember there was one I wanted to do, which eventually became what we call picturesque. 
and it was a, it was a tribute to the painters and artists who have uh, loved the circus, mm-hmm. you know. So Toulouse-Lautrec and Chagall and Degas and uh, uh, Calder and so on. These were all uh, artists who did tributes to the circus. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that would be an interesting show. Okay, 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 okay. And then I went off to Europe and saw a teeterboard act, a Russian teeterboard act that was a tribute to Chagall. It was a Chagall village. The characters in the act were Chagall characters from Chagall. Uh, oh, that from was Chagall. Definitely so, a new costume. Is that how they were able to indicate? They were costumed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They were costumed right out of the paintings. Okay, and I saw this act and I said, "There it." I went. I was back in the guy's trailer backstage <laughs> as soon as the show was over. The boss, um, and I said, "No, you know, we'd love it if you guys could come to you know, join us in New York and." on tour with us and he was very interested in that's so that so it became the finale act of the show that was the chagall tribute wasn't there a teeterboard act this year as a yes, yes there was different yeah. act, different. As, right, right they were like fl- flying or they were flight airplane pilots i think right, right. Yeah. They, they were yeah the uh, theme was flight of the number right flight yeah, that's yeah. Right. The, the the music was the, the magnificent men in their flying machines anyway I need an orchestra to do this. Next time I'll have you back and you can just do your whole cabaret. Oh, yeah, I'll try. I'll I'll I'll, come to you on the piano and you can sing. I'll bring Dana. I'll bring Dana. Wait till you hear how she sings. But anyway, um, each of, I mean, Mark and Joel were great collaboration and they essentially brought the idea. Then they had to work it through and figure out what to do and they had to understand how to incorporate the acts and then the production team begins to understand how do you costume this, how do you, mm-hmm. you know, what's the set, et cetera. So it's, I, I have to jump in here because yeah. two years ago you and I, or three years ago, had lunch with Mark Minton. Yep. I don't know if you remember, but I was asking you advice of whether or not, because I wanted time to be like, how do I become a circus producer? And... The best piece of advice you gave me that I really, really remember uh, and I wanted to ask you to bring up again is this idea that people who are genuinely really creative are less defensive of their ideas and that a sign of somebody who will be a tough collaborator is somebody who really fights for their one idea. I've, I've found that consistently to be the case. The truly talented ones submit an idea. You're a designer and you put something in front of the director and the artistic director of the organization and they go nah, I don't know that does that doesn't work for me and the talented ones sort of pick it up crumble it into pieces throw it over their shoulders and start drawing again yeah um, because they have you know it's just one idea from a creative mind they're not worried that they can't think of something yeah, exactly else. yeah I find that to be absolutely uh, the case that um, st- digging in your heels a Defending an idea says you don't have faith in your own creative process. And it's a collaborative, you know, theater is wonderful. Circus, the kind of circus we do, which which I can talk to you about another time, which is a very representative form of theater. Um, closest, in fact, to the original tribal rituals out of which all theater came, you know, all performing arts. But, um, you know you can move in any way when you're a creative person. And it's always collaborative. There's a director, there's a producer, there are other artists on the team, and you're looking for how you your ideas intersect with each other. The role of the director is to 
put out a show. The role of the artistic director is looking at oversee the entire thing and see if it's consistent with the vision of the organization, who the audience is. Of course, the artistic director knows far better than the actual uh, show director. Um, how how that audience may be affected, you know, that's the role. So I played that role for all of those guest directors all of those years. How many years ago did you step down from the artistic director role? That's 2008. It was the end of 2009 season. Just in time all that all that stuff to land on their heads, you know. Bye, guys. Uh, I'm out. I, was, I got out before it. I mean, I, I, I and I've retained the uh, the title of uh, senior advisor. Yeah. It's a good job, senior advisor. And you're on the board as well, they, right? they ask a question. I give an answer. They ignore it, and they pay me. That's a good job, you know. Um I'm on the board. I'm on the executive committee of the board, in yeah. fact, which is that's the group, the smaller group that really makes the mm -hmm. decisions as we go along. Um, so jumping around a little bit, I wanted to ask you about being a judge at the Monte Carlo Circus uh, Festival and yeah. what you think makes a good circus act. Wow. And it's, uh, a t it's an impossible question to answer. Yeah. yeah well, you know. I've been a judge. I was a judge at the Paris Festival many times. Um, they don't call it a judge. A member of the jury is what mm. it's called. Um, and at uh, Monte Carlo, I think three times at Monte Carlo. The first time was was with Prince Renier, and uh, who was great. I mean, he was great. Except you had to get up early in the morning because we had the meetings in the morning after you were awake till three in the morning the night before seeing the show. <laughs> you know, um, and we had our meetings. I, I think I was on it three times. And then Princess Stephanie I, was the head of the jury mm -hmm. later on. Um, what makes a good circus act? Who the? It, 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 there are, there, the composition is very important. How does it affect, how does it affect you emotionally? Mm -hmm. Are these things, these tricks that they're doing, uh, are they special? Uh, is it the same old thing you've seen 35 times before? Is it original? Does it have an, uh, uh, is it exciting? Does it build to a, a, a major climax? And the good ones do, you know, they're well composed. Um, uh, you know, are, is, is this a solo? Is this a group? Does the group, you know, work together as a team? All these questions come up. Does the music and the costumes and the lighting all fit together in, to, you know, mm -hmm. in terms of exciting an audience? Um, is it too long? <laughs> that's, right? a, that's an important question. That's one of the most important questions. Boy, when, you, when, you're, when your butt starts hurting, you know it's too long. You know, you're sitting there going, oh, okay, ready. Yeah. Um, uh, you see that more in Paris than you do in Monte Carlo. Monte Carlo, they're bringing in the best acts they can find in the world at that, that year. Yeah. Uh, in Paris, there's a lot of young acts coming out of Focus schools. Focus on new. Yeah. yeah. The young people, the young acts, they're coming out of schools or they're self-taught or they're, mm -hmm. you know, they come out of circus families. Um, and there's a tendency for them to be too long. Mm -hmm. You know, they got to do everything they ever learned <laughs> in this act. And it's usually bad for that reason. So right. you got to judge it based on that. Yeah. Um, uh, it. In Paris, there were categories. In Monte Carlo, they're not. You know, this is just 
they're, they're worth a gold or silver or a bronze clown, and that's it. <laughs> you know, there are other smaller awards that are right. allocated. Uh, a few years, we had a big Apple Circus Award at Monte Carlo. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and you're there with other people who are good experts, you know. One of the problems is inevitably on the jury is somebody from the home country of the act that's in the show. Oi, excuse me, but <laughs> right. it's always a drag. It's, you know, we don't need this. We'll do fine without that mm-hmm. kind of bias. But I, I felt it was always an honor to be on the jury, to sit on the jury, discuss the acts and jury meetings. You know, that was, that's always interesting. Yeah. Uh, and there's really major disagreement. There's some. No, this act, look what they're doing. Look at the innovation of this act. Look at it as, you know, I tended to be in that camp. Mm-hmm. You know, innovation really matters. Uh, um, that's all. The discussions were always lively, uh, you know, and the food was free. So <laughs> how could you argue with and that? And you know? Monaco is a beautiful yeah. place to be. Yes, yeah, and, yeah exactly. And, and the hotel is on them. Right. You know? <laughs> so we always wrap it up with two questions. Yeah. The first one is, is there, so we know the book you're recommending. That's the book is Never Quote the Weather to a Sea Lion and Other Uncommon Tales from the Founder of the Big Apple Circus with a foreword by Glenn Close. PaulBinderCircus.com. You get a discount and free shipping. And a signed. Signed, <laughs> signed copy. Can you also recommend a film and a uh, show that people who, that doesn't do anything, just something that you would recommend to people in general? It doesn't do a circus theater, just big, open, impossible question. What's these two questions? A movie and a show. Oh, man. I, I don't know. Um, like, something you love. Well, I, I love the Disney cartoons. Me too. I'm looking forward to the next, what's the next one? The, the Finding Nemo sequel. Oh, Finding uh, Dory. Finding Dory. Dory. This should, this should be a lot of fun. So then the final final question yeah. is, had you not gone into circus or theater and that had totally passed you by, what do you think you would have done? I have no, not a clue. <laughs> really not a clue. I probably would have stayed in television or gone back to television. But the thing is, I worked for Merv Griffin. He sent me out to San Francisco. I don't, you won't remember, but uh, I don't remember what year it was, even 70, 71, I don't, 70, I think it was 1970. A group of Native Americans had occupied Alcatraz Island, claiming this was, you know, Indian territory and they were reclaiming it for the American, you know, for the Native Americans. And he said, Paul, get on a plane, get out there. Uh, we'll have a camera crew waiting for you. Interview the people who are out there. Oh, okay. wow. Oh, great. Okay. Crew met me. We got on a boat. We got out to Alcatraz. We did the interviews. And I had four days more in San Francisco. I was finished. The job was done. I sh- we sent the tape back to New York. They It was up to them after that. Um, and that afternoon, or I saw the San Francisco Mime Troupe in Golden Gate Park in San Francisco. I went, oh, look at this. This is fabulous theater, okay? And I said, boy, I would love to be in that company, you know? So I think it was before I actually left San Francisco, I set up an audition for the San Francisco Mind Troop. Yeah. Uh, it may have, it, that may not have been exactly what right. happened in that, in that chronological. <laughs> like I say, I forget a lot, but... but I did an audition from them. By the way, I did a piece from uh, a Danny Kay thing. It was a Danny Kay thing. I, I, oh, I had seen Danny Kay at the palace when I was a kid, mm. you know, 
uh, doing his one-man show. Um, and I was given a job at the San Francisco Mind Trip. My job was to go back to New York, give notice to Merv Griffin, <laughs> and move to San Francisco. That's all I had to do. It was like, you know, snap, right? <laughs> and sure enough, that's what happened. That's how I got into the Mind Trip. It's where I learned how to juggle. Larry Pizzoni was my juggling teacher. It's where I met Michael. He was the, Michael Christensen was the head of the audition committee that auditioned me. Um, anyway, I mean, it, it's quite an adventure that yes. began at that point. Mm -hmm. So, um, all thanks to a bunch of Native Americans. Well, Alcatraz. yeah, <laughs> well, the answer is what would I have done? Maybe I would have stayed in the, in the TV business. It was good work. I wasn't, you know, hardly was ashamed of it. I, yeah. I enjoyed doing it, but this was a much more exciting proposition to do that and to go back to being a performer. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I love performing. Uh, and it, one thing led to another. I will tell you, it was all about passion. One thing always led to another. Wow, look at that. That is really something special. That's really something exciting. Let's go down that path and see what happens. Well, was Ralph Waldo Emerson said, do not stay on the path. Well, something like this. This is, you know, I'm, if I can remember walk off the path and make a trail and that's what it was you know it was like oh okay well, that's exciting let's walk in that direction and see what happens and then something would emerge and i'd say yes yes this is it and it was all about passion it was all about this is something that's reaching the audience in an emotional way that's very positive and will will help people's lives because of it they'll laugh they'll have a good time they'll forget for a moment their uh the uh, common grief is that's what Henry Miller called it, the common mm -hmm. grief. Um, and, and it's true. It works that way. Uh, what we do, um, uh, the Big Apple Circus and the, you know, the Mime Troupe did as well. So uh, we won an Obie Award for the for the pl a play we produced in the San Francisco Mime Troupe. We brought it to New York and it won an Obie Award. Cool. Um, and in fact, that's where Michael and I began our juggling uh, act together. We were assigned to drive a vehicle back from New York to San Francisco, the two of us. And we decided to do it by way of the Keys in Florida. <laughs> the shortest way possible. Yeah. Well, let's just say we got to, wanted to be out of the cold weather. Um, and we drove across the South that way. And in the process, we had put together a juggling act that became, you know, was the first of our juggling act. We, we paid our way across the country that way. Um, and that was... That driving that vehicle back to San Francisco was the beginning of the Big Apple Circus. We just didn't know it at the right. time. You know? um, well, thank you so much, Paul. Yeah, yeah. It, this has been fun and a pleasure. You know, somehow make sense of everything I've said <laughs> and save the circus.org. The Big Apple Circus could go out of business unless we raise enough money in the next six weeks, less, five weeks. We'd, we'd go out of business. And that would be very sad to, yes, lose, to lose the institution. Very, yeah. Very yeah. So let's end on a very sad note. <laughs> Positive <laughs> note, because you're going to raise it and Big right. will go on, but we well, need your help. Just go to savethecircus.org. Yeah. All the information is there. Well, that was our interview with Paul Binder. We hope you enjoyed it and learned some fun information about his singing talent and his background. And please go visit savethecircus.org to donate to Big Apple Circus to keep it alive. They really, really, really need your help. So anything that you can give, I think, would be appreciated. And if you're enjoying the show, 
please share it with your friends on Facebook and Twitter. Tweet us. We're on Instagram. We know we're on all the social media. <laughs> Find us. Follow us. Have a great week. Bye.